Where do wild boars go? I don't even understand what they mean. You are listening to a podcast of Ice and Fire, episode 185 for the week of October 18th, 2015. Welcome back, everyone, to the longest-running podcast dedicated to George R. R. Martin's The Song of Ice and Fire series and occasionally HBO's Game of Thrones. This is Amin, and we have two special guests visiting Kingsgrave today. Welcome back, Sean and Stefan. If you could just give us a quick intro again on what you guys are up to. Uh, sure. I'm Sean T. Collins. Uh, with Stefan here, I am the co-host of the Boiled Leather Audio Hour podcast which is uh, not the longest-running one. Uh, but I think what we what we lack in... Um, well, I was about to say what we lack in quantity, we make up for in quality, but we may lack in quality as well. So, I don't know. But we do exist. That's nice. And you can find us at uh, boilleather.com, which is um, my fan site uh, called All Leather Must Be Boiled. I'm also a TV critic. I write for a whole bunch of different places, including Rolling Stone, uh, which is primarily where I've covered... Game of Thrones. I've also written about it for Vulture and the New York Observer and probably some other places. And I'm the co-author of the official annotated Game of Thrones with series editor Ann Grohl and Elio Garcia Jr. from Westeros and the World of Ice and Fire. Uh, And that was for the subtext iPad app. Okay, and I am Stefan Sasse. I don't have a quite as long resume. I'm writing essays for the Tower <laughs> of the Hand, which is also a pretty large uh, fan site. I have my own blog for all things nerd at the nerdstreamera.blogspot.com, which you might or might not know that it's also hosting the Supreme Court of Westeros, which coincidentally will be uh, what we are talking about today. So if you don't know it yet, check it out. It's worth your while. And if you know it, just enjoy the episode. It's great to have you guys back on since uh, episode 98, which was the first major crossover we had. Uh, we still have the usual refreshments and things here. We just have slightly less people here than usual. Oh, man. So we got the, we really have the, the run of the bar tonight. Yeah. Mimi's out boar hunting, I think, okay. with, with parties. So. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to figure out where the boars go. That's the question. Mimi's <laughs> looking for them. But I think, Sean, you, you put it well in one of the episodes I was listening to your podcast. You gave the intro. You're like, Boiled Leather is the best Song of Ice and Fire podcast with Boiled Leather in the title. <laughs> which I can heartfully agree with that. Yeah, so. <laughs> I think that's, I don't think that's a dispute. You know, that's, that's basically accepted <laughs> as canon. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. <laughs> okay, so this is actually special. I, I said this is like, it's essentially our 100th anniversary, 100th ruling of the Supreme Court of Westeros. And I think. Sean, were you the first person with us, or at least early on you were with us? Was it the first ruling, or was that with Stephen? Stephen would know better than me. I've done this before. I've done a couple. Of, I've done a couple of columns with you. You know, like the 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 actual column in print, and then I've done. I think I, I think we did at least one of these episodes before as well. Yes, we did. Yeah. Uh, before the Supreme Court of Westeros, I did this on my own uh, with uh, entirely inflated self confidence. And when I reached 50 issues of it, <laughs> I invited you two guys, and I think Stephen that well, and we did a podcast answering questions, and so we thought this would be appropriate to celebrate the 100th issue of the Supreme Court, which I've been doing regularly with Amin and one surprise guest, which you have been twice or thrice over, uh, Jean, uh, mm-hmm. at uh, the Nerdstream era. Hmm. And we actually have some special news, I guess, Stefan, you can tell us about in relation to the Supreme Court and uh, coming to print oh, soon. Yes. 
we are publishing an ebook for uh, the Supreme Court, which you should get all excited about because what it will contain is the first 50 rulings that we did. Of course, edited for spelling errors, grammar errors, and what else might have come up. And uh, a collection of the best of comments from the discussions of said rulings. So you will be able to get all in one spot uh, the best discussions about the best theory questions that we have on offer. So keep your eyes out for the ebook for uh, the Supreme Court first 50 editions. And that's that's the thing you need, you know, if you get into like arguments with your friends about theories and stuff, you can just pull out the Supreme Court and be like, ruling number 50, <laughs> they covered it, so you can cite presidents. The arguments that way. <laughs> the esteemed judges yeah. tell us. Mm-hmm. When we went from one to three is we can have dissents, we can have disagreement, so beyond, uh, I mean, we have that as well in the comments, but I, I think that's a nice feature when you have three judges, you can debate about issues. Yeah, because you do get, I mean, I like that as a reader, you do often get kind of every angle on each issue which is, you know, not something that you get if it's just one person writing, um, you know, and that's that I think makes it a really valuable resource, even if you're not a person who agrees with the, you know, sort of the consensus choice. There's still so much discussion and debate going on that it's it's almost impossible not to get a lot out of it. And of course, we're getting the questions out of the community, so everyone has kind of a say in it. It's more democratic than a real Supreme Court, I suppose. We're always looking for judges. Like we have people that are just doing repeat judges come a few times because we have space. So that's a great. And we, I'm always on the lookout for people in the community in different areas, Tumblr and elsewhere. And I send out invites, but you don't have to be invited. You can just come and say you want to join. We pretty much take you. So it's very, very <laughs> egalitarian. For, it's like the Night's Watch. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Far more women have been on that's it than true. the Night's Watch that's too. True. So, and not for yeah. life. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, just for that weekly. Yeah, just rotation. you two guys are the lifers. The rest of us. Can yeah, yeah, right now. yeah. Sentence. <laughs> well, we have collected a bunch of questions from fans, which I guess we'll kind of dive into. We've got a list here. So, shoot, Stephanie or Sean, if you see something in there, to start with. Let's get started. Okay, I give it to Sean. You give it to me? Oh my goodness! Um, yes, hot potato. Over yes, to you. So. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, here, here's something that I was thinking about earlier today. I was working on something, a song of ice and fire related and writing a, a fair amount about Var- Varys. And uh, the first two questions on the list here that we got um, are both Varys-related, and I think related enough that we can probably tackle them in tandem. Uh, the first one is, what was Varys doing during the reign of King Aerys II? At one point, he's driving a wedge between Aerys and Rhaegar, as well as Aerys and Tywin. And then when Tywin shows up at King's Landing near the end of Robert's Rebellion, he advises Aerys to shut the gates to Tywin. So what gives here? I don't know. Maybe we should just tackle that one by itself first. Sure. You want to go? Up oh, you sounded or? so confident in your sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll, okay. I'll say. Okay. Who is Varys supporting is a big one. Yeah, he seems to be supporting the Targaryens at times and sometimes not. I think that if he's actually a Blackfire supporter, then his overall strategy works for Targaryens and then bring back the Blackfires later. But maybe he didn't want Eris to fall that quickly at that point. I'm not sure. Yeah, you know, it could also have to do with what seems to me quite possibly to be a fairly astute bit of character analysis that Varys did about Tywin, which is that if Aerys opened the gates of Tywin, Tywin would royally fuck King's Landing up, which is exactly what happened. And, you know, Varys mm. is not above sowing chaos when it suits his needs, but um, I, I, I always have gotten the sense that his overtures in the direction of humanitarian thinking are not entirely insincere, you know? So it may... it. 
that would be my working theory is that when when the time came to decide whether or not to let Tywin in the gates, he was thinking maybe it's not such a great idea to let in someone who's going to unleash the likes of uh, Gregor Gregor Clegane and uh, Amory Lorch on the city. Okay, best I can do. I would try to start at the end of this question, which is the gate shutting to Tywin, uh, because I think uh, here we can have a pretty clear motivation. Uh, Varys isn't safe in King's Landing uh, when uh, when the enemies of Aerys are uh, going all berserk over him. He has no way of knowing whether or not uh, the winning coalition will let him live, much less uh, the wild card that Tywin is at that point. He, he is pretty sure, and rightfully so, that Tywin will sack the city. Uh, but if he will survive it, that's much less clear. Uh, so I would advise, in his point, uh, just shut the gates, try to negotiate a surrender of the city, which, if I remember correctly, is what he urges Ares to do. Uh, you know, try to uh, get Ares to exile and get this all over in an orderly manner, uh, which would make sense from his perspective. And then we have to come to the Ares, um, sorry, Ares Rhaegar thing. And I guess that uh, Rhaegar is surprising Varys as much as anyone else. Driving a wedge, a wedge between the two helps to foster um, this chaotic situation in which Varys simply thrives on, you know, the, the possibilities uh, that he has, the rifts he can exploit, all that kind of stuff. But when Rhaegar suddenly abducts Lyanna, and I, I'm pretty sure that Varys didn't know about that beforehand, uh, then all those plans are thrown into disarray, and Varys has to improvise from there on. And you can say about Littlefinger what you want, but he's the master of improvisation, and Varys is very much not. Uh, Varys has long laid plans, which he can improvise on, but I'm pretty sure that this war, at that point, wasn't what he wanted. Yeah, I mean, he's not even the only conspirator to be taken by surprise by Rhaegar. If you believe in the Southron Ambitions conspiracy, you know, I think that that ruined <clears throat> a whole other set of people's plans. And, you know, we've seen a couple times, at least, that Varys, you know, you can take Varys by surprise. He's not omniscient. You know, I think hmm. he didn't know that Joffrey was going to execute Ned, and he didn't yeah, know, he didn't know that Jamie Lannister was gonna, like, force him at gunpoint to free Tyrion, you know? So, uh, so he's not, um, you know, all seeing and all knowing. So it may be, as you say, a matter of just him being caught a little bit flat footed by Rhaegar's actions since everybody was. Yeah. I think, uh, one of the hearts uh, of the matter really is what you believe to be, uh, Varys's end game. Do you believe he is a Targaryen loyalist or do you believe he's a Blackfire supporter? Because all this, uh, weakening Ares stuff makes much more sense if he's a Blackfire supporter in my eyes, which uh, I think points in that direction. That which he is... really, what? I was just going to say that was the next question. What is Varys' stake in Westeros? What does he care about Aegon? Why is it important to him that Aegon ascends the throne? And, uh, you know, and what narrative purpose does Varys serve in the story? That's what I'm reading from our list of questions. And that seems to be the, the, is that your, your answer? That he's a Blackfire partisan? I would say so, yes. Yeah, I would agree as well. I mean, like, he might, he might have multiple purposes for supporting the Blackfires, but that seems to make make more sense to why he would bring the Targaryens down and then bring the Blackfires up instead. I agree. It's funny how, like, the, it seems that, the, um, I guess there's some question as to which member of this conspiracy, or which members of this conspiracy, are 
Blackfires, you know, literally speaking. Yeah. Is it Varys? Is it Illyrio? And therefore, is it also Aegon, if you believe Aegon is Valyrio's son and so on? But it does seem like a consensus idea at this point that someone in there is a Blackfire. <clears throat> and then Varys was sent there for the specific purpose from the very start, then, right. right? He went to King's Landing right. with right. his purpose. That's yeah. at least Illyrio yeah. It just seems... Yeah. And then, I mean, Varys and Illyrio have been quite a team, like, a team since the start that's benefited both, and this is kind of, as I think I've said before, fits their kind of thing to kind of, like, steal something and then sell it back mm. at a higher it's price. It's actually quite an inspiring bromance between those two guys, you know? I mean, how, yeah. how often in these, <laughs> in these books do we see two people who <coughs> stick together through thick and thin like that? You know, bring people left and right. Well, I mean, there's the murders, that's unfortunate, and the war atrocities. <laughs> the but I'm saying, I'm saying, like, you know, there's the... They don't have, they're not romantically interested in one another, as best as anyone can tell. They're just buddies, man. Good for them, you know? Yeah. It's, a fr- it's friendship. Friendship's important. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, just to get back to the first uh, question that was asked in this um, complex here, what's Varus' stake in Vesteros? I think he's pretty uh, honest uh, in what we get in A Dance with Dragons about the perfect prince and getting order uh, imposed on Vesteros, not with this volatile Joffrey or uh, Robert, Robert and stuff, but really with this, yeah, the perfect prince. That's his fixation, I think. And that also explains a little bit of his narrative purpose, because this will pretty obviously be a dead end. Hmm. And see, Varys somebody who suffered for being lower class, and that can either like harden you against everything like Littlefinger, or it can actually give you a little, little bit of compassion that he might have, although his methods are still yes. very brutal. But that's if we buy his backstory, which I'm not entirely hmm. convinced is accurate. Oh, lost the last second I of that? I was just saying, I'm not entirely convinced that the version of his life story that he's given us is hmm. accurate so i guess it matters if, if, if he actually he himself is right. a black fire which is not which is not required but it definitely affects things well maybe that's why he was right. particularly cut his blood i'm hoping that at the end you know he realize he reveals that he can he has you know he has his balls and he can grow hair on his head <laughs> it's like you know <laughs> it's like uh, at the end of the usual suspects you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I guess the, I guess that's a good comparison, especially if we come back to the narrative purpose. He's a little bit of a Kaiser Sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, he he is. You can project pretty uh, pretty much any motive on him, pretty much every conspiracy, because as of yet, he has not revealed himself in, in the same way that Littlefinger has, for example. So it is still open mm. what end Varys serves. But I'm pretty confident in saying that he wants a perfect prince and that he somehow works for Blackfire or is one himself. Doesn't really give anything one way or the other. Hmm. Is this a hmm yes or a hmm no? It's conclusive. <laughs> okay. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Move to the next question. <laughs> okay. So I, uh, so I picked the first one, so who's going next? Yeah, uh, let me just... Um, I, I will choose the next one. Okay. So um, this is a little bit more specific than the all-encompassing Varys conspiracy. And let me just quote here. My question is, why does Aaron Greyjoy keep thinking about a door opening with a rusted hinge? I just reread the Kingsmood chapters in Feast, and he thinks about the door with a rusted hinge several times, and it seems to have to do with Euron. I have an idea that is unpleasant, but wondering, what do you think? Well, this is actually come up on, on, our, on the podcast of Ice and Fire in the past before, it's basically the, the creaking door theory that he's being 
abused in some sort of manner by Euron. So it always made sense to me. Yes, absolutely. The question is a little bit how specific you want to get, you know, was it sexual abuse, was it yeah. quote-unquote just mental and physical abuse, uh, what exactly did Euron do? I mean, I think the behind-closed-doors implication of the door with the rusty hinge indicates that it was sexual abuse. Also, yeah. just given just mm. given these characters and, you know, this series' thematic uh, preoccupations, um, you know, I think that's the most likely scenario, sad to say. Yes. I also think that this one scene between Euron and Victoria that we get on the Shield Islands very much points in that direction. When uh, Euron is presenting himself half naked to Victorian, uh, showing off his mm. ding dong in front of him, and <laughs> and how pleasant, how physically unpleasant it is for Victorian. I guess that very much points in that direction. Yeah, that's true. Because you know, I think the uh, the temptation is to say like, oh, well, he's kind of just a you know. He's this uptight, macho guy, and he doesn't like, you know, seeing his brother naked or whatever. I don't know. But these dudes are sailors, you know? I mean, they've seen... Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they've seen and done all kinds of things. So uh, I think you might be right that that's triggering to use the, the, the parlance of our times, you know? Of course, I'm just realizing that I threw together Victorian and Aaron, because Aaron is the one who was abused, and Victorian, not so much. But but still, oh, wait. he's... he's, really? he's his showing off his private parts uh, somehow still feeds into that, you know? Uh, it would f it would fit his personality. And Victorian is an uptight yeah. ass, yes. Uh, but Euron doing this, showing off like that, would, would fit, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Oh, brother, Euron Greyjoy so. is trash, man. That guy. Yeah, he is a potential debt to Danny than Victorian, like, which is what is worrisome, right? Than Tyrion? Oh, than Victorian. Yeah, no, qu like, yeah, you, you no guys question. are like, you're like Victorian's done going in there, but Euron is yeah, a real Euron, threat. The, 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 the yeah. mastermind, obviously. Victorian's just a dunce. Yeah. You know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is also an ongoing discussion, uh, which we didn't get a question about, but uh, since we're at the matter of Euron, uh, it is pr it, many people have commented on that it is strange that you bring uh, such a supervillain out in basically the middle of the story with no f foreboding or warning or anything. Same with Aegon. So what do you think is up with Euron? Will he, will he really be a supervillain, or is he more or less a red herring? Well, I mean, it's not it's not unprecedented to introduce major villains, you know, in the second act or whatever. Um, you know, that's when the Emperor first showed up in Star Wars. And, um, you know, so yeah. I, I think, you know, I think he's going to be a major, major antagonist for the characters in the remaining volumes um and it doesn't uh, there's still an awful lot of space to cover an awful lot of pages to write and i don't i don't think it's impossible to give euron the the kind of narrative weight required to pull that off you know what i mean um, yeah. i think i think it can be done okay now if he's like a failed disciple of uh blood raven then even though he wasn't mentioned earlier, he kind of was built up in a way through Bloodraven, like he's like the Jedi gone mm -hmm. Sith. So so he so, so he has some built up that way. Like if he has some powers, or maybe Bloodraven considered using. Because I, I kind of like that theory that he was maybe contacted and then he wasn't followed up with by Bloodraven. Yeah, definitely. It would all explain his obsession with Raven imagery. Yeah. 
can you fly and all this stuff. Like it, it really. I think we did this one over the one of the previous yeah. episodes of previous rulings. We talked about this. So okay, so it's your question. Okay, let's see here. Oh yeah, okay. It looks interesting. Do you believe the Lady Stoneheart will ever get in contact with either Sansa or Arya or any of her remaining children? And if so, what impact will that have for the story for the character? Will it change anything? No, she won't. Um, I really don't think that. As a, I'm pretty, pretty one hundred percent sure for Sansa. I couldn't vouch entirely for Arya, but I have a feeling that she won't meet any of those two. Uh, for me, Lady Stoneheart mm. is uh, another story entirely. She's really not Catelyn anymore, so <clears throat> so it wouldn't make much sense to confront her with uh, Sansa and Arya because. I don't, I don't get the feeling that there will be any meaningful impact on their storylines other than the pure horror uh, of seeing her mother being a zombie. That's more like something The Walking Dead would do, you know? Yeah, I think she might be aware of them. I mean, she, she, she's heard of what's happening to them, but actually having a face-to-face meeting is not going to happen. To now. me, the question is whether Stoneheart and the Brotherhood encounter Nymeria and the Wolf Pack at some point. Um, hmm. If they do... And Arya somehow, you know, maybe maybe there's contact in that way through Nymeria. Um, hmm. It's I don't I guess it's not outside the realm of possibility, huh? You know, I never I've never ever thought about this before. I don't think you know. Obviously, everyone thinks about what's going to happen with Sansa and Arya. Are they going to meet? Or is either going to see John again, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I never. And then everyone thinks about like what's going to happen with Lady Stoneheart. What happens with Jaime and Brienne? What's going to happen at River Run? With the you know the wedding of the Lannister and Frey people, uh, but I never it never occurred to me to wonder what you know whether Sansa and Arya will meet up with her. I don't know. I I you know I think it's I guess I would say it's possible just because of the presence of the Wolf Pack, which seems to be like a major gun hmm. that has yet to go off. But beyond that, I couldn't say. The wolves are coming to the wedding. This oh show man, up. how rad would that be? <laughs> Like a thousand wolves like should yeah. come into the way. Wish fulfillment Martin usually doesn't serve. That's true. That's true. I wrote about that today too. Well, the, but, but, the, but the wolves will eat friends and foe alike, so they'll just. No, no. Come. I imagine it like the blackfish is lowering <laughs> the drawbridge, and then you have a slow motion when he waves in with a cool nod. All those wolves and they simply attack anyone, yeah. and then but, they go out like, and given the, 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 is nodding back at him. You know, stop. No. Stefan's worst nightmare, excluding the blackfish, plus, like, wish fulfillment at the same time. Like. <laughs> I want the blackfish tried in Nuremberg. <laughs> to sum up the question, I'm not sure if Stoneheart lives lives long enough, or is, is around long enough to be around when Arya yeah, comes good. back. She might finally be gone by that point. Maybe John might, is even more likely than the other two, for some reason, to see each other. But you're right that uh, Arya has seen Stoneheart when she was dead, being pulled out of the water through Nymeria. She sees that. So she might again, she could see through Nymeria again yeah. if there's yeah, a meeting. Okay. So you just mentioned John, which fits nicely with the next question on our list, which goes, esteemed judges, that would be us, which can be a big twist in the winds of winter. It can be made a meaningful literary arc if Jon Snow is really dead. <laughs> Jon Snow. First you need, go ahead. Yeah, got to decode <laughs> that question first. I was going to say Jon Snow is not yeah. really dead. I mean, he's dead, no, but he's, he's going to come back to life. Yeah. He will be back in the books. He will be yeah. a full-fledged character. He won't be some mindless murder machine zombie. He's he's not. Yeah. He's so in a way, it's some. He, he'll be darker potentially, but it'll yeah. still be him. Like he'd still have consciousness yep. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's 
absolutely no brainer that Jon Snow will come back from the dead. And to answer the question, no, there can't be a meaningful literary arc if Jon Snow is really dead. That would just be what? You know, we spend five books, yeah. okay, minus Facebook Rose, but four books with this guy. And the gist of it is, hey, he failed. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no yeah, I think, uh, you know, I just think, um, you know, these kind of, these kind of questions is, is the thing that Stefan and I talk about in our podcast all the time. We try and look at theories mm. through, you know, a narrative or a thematic lens and figure out like, well, sure, maybe something's possible. But what purpose would it serve, you know, in the story as storytelling? You know, not just like, how does it get character X from point A to point B? But like, why would George R. R. Martin, you know, beloved author, uh, <laughs> do this? You know, what purpose does it serve in the story as art or as entertainment? And I think, you know, killing off John at this point, for one thing, it's going right back to the Red Wedding Well, which, you know, he did that already. He killed off, you know, a mm. group of main characters and ended what appeared to be like one of the main storylines of the entire series. He did that already. So I don't know that he needs to do it again. Um, and, you know, I, I've always just said he's a revisionist writer. You know, he wants to subvert and expand and enrich epic fantasy, but he doesn't want to burn it to the ground, you know? So when it comes to like, maybe there won't be any kind of, uh, Azora High Reborn prince that was promised, you know, the heroic figure. Maybe they, maybe the others will win and there'll be an apocalypse. I mean, I got him to say that, no, there won't be, which is kind of cool and unexpected when I interviewed him. But um, I've always just figured, like, he's still a Lord of the Rings fan, you know, a legit fan. And, uh, and that's the model he's working on. And I just never thought that the, uh, you know, the main, 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 main characters are going to die unceremoniously with like two books to go or you know the bad guys will win it just has never rung true to me for him as a you know as a writer i guess as uh, you know whatever the narrative uh, concerns are in terms of you know how the plot would work i just think it would be the books wouldn't be as fun so he's not going to do that i hmm. absolutely agree yeah, and I think when you, when you go with the narrative perspective and thematic and know that, yes, he's going to be around till Endgame, could die then, then you can look at the actual text and see there's so many ways that Martin has set up for him to come mm -hmm. back. It's all there. Rob wasn't set up that way. Rob, there's no way to come back, but John has Melisandre there, has all the other methods there. We talked about Varimar Sixkin, so he's set up these ways to facilitate the overall narrative purpose, keeping him around till, till Endgame, where, where anyone can die Endgame, but not now. Yep. Good. Right on, man. I love when we agree. It's exciting. <laughs> and, and if you disagree out there, send us your comments. That's what we want, right? right? So That's right. Man. Yeah, we want to just get feedback for this. So, All right. Um, what is the most important mystery in the series? Hmm. That's a hard one. Ooh. I would hmm. say, just to give you guys more time to think about it, the Song of Ice and Fire itself. What is the Song of Ice and Fire? Yeah. I guess... If you t talk about uh, the most important in what will have ultimately the most impact on how everything is playing out, what exactly is the Song of Ice and Fire? Who are Ice and Fire? What is it representing? Because we didn't get that much about it yet. There are mm. hints, but not really that much uh, that you could really come down on an interpretation about this. I mean, yes, the others are ice, and the dragons are fire, blah, blah, and John is ice, and Danny is fire, maybe. But 
as of yet, we can't be sure. And I guess since he named the damn series after it, it should be important. Yeah, I think it's fundamentally where, where do the wild boars go, to be honest. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, to, to be more serious, I think that's excellent because that's the, yeah, exactly the name of the series is there. And people like Rhaegar have been like trying to interpret the, the prophecies and figure it out. And people like us are doing as well. So, yeah, I think that's crucial. Yeah, I, I guess if you, I guess what I would say is this: I have, I, I have a candidate for what the most important mystery in the series is, and I have a candidate for what my favorite is and what the most intriguing is, which mm. I think will ultimately actually be fairly meaningful. Um, but to speak to the former, you know, it's related to what you guys are saying about, you know, what is the Song of Ice and Fire? And to me, that's kind of like an umbrella question for all of the theories and mysteries surrounding Azor High, the prince that was promised, three heads, mm. you know, the dragon has three heads... Um, you know, the last hero and all the other mythical equivalents, you know, Hercoon that we've learned about. Um, and then that ties in also with who are John's parents, maybe who are Tyrion's parents and so on. Um, you know, hmm. in terms of the resolution of the plot, that cluster of questions is the most important. Um, the thing that I'm, the big outstanding mystery, I guess if it's a mystery or what, uh, that's most intriguing to me is what's the deal with the others? What do the White Walkers right. want? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Kill everyone? No. Well, well, I mean, I think yes. <laughs> Something more complicated. But, you know, Martin has always been on the record that he never really liked dark lords and orcs. Um, and I'm not willing to go so far as to say that we're going to get an explanation for the others that makes us feel like you know they raised some good points. You know, but I'm just. I just assume that it'll be a bit more complex than their pure evil. They've always been, you know, they just exist to embody evil, you know, any more, you know, and a good analogy, I guess would be people like Gregor Kagane or Ramsey Bolton or Roos Bolton, people who are like, there's no, or you are on Greyjoy. Like there's no mince words. These are terrible, terrible people, but they're not just like birth <clears throat> from hell. You know, there's some no. kind of, <clears throat> There's some kind of background to them that's more complicated than just, like, they're the Antichrist. And maybe that will be the case with the... I assume that will be the case with the others, just based on Martin's statements in terms of what kind of villains he likes. But So I'm curious about that. I don't think that'll... I'm not a heretic who's saying that, like, the children of the forest are really the bad guys. I'm just saying there's going to be something there. You're, you're disappointing me. I mean, we just had a podcast in which we compared him to the Nazis, and now you're saying that. No, Nazis but it's the same. People. But I'm saying the same thing about the Nazis, right? Like the Nazis. <laughs> yeah, I know, were... I know. I'm just pulling yeah. a chin here. Okay. So yeah. I, I, I would add to this in saying that I guess they are more. Uh, if you, you can just look to the dragons, you know, the dragons are also pretty complex. They are not forces of poor awesomeness, as they are in many other mm. fantasy stories. Uh, they have their pros and cons. They have destructive side. They can be used for flying around and looking awesome, but uh, they're uh, they are multifaceted, and I think the others will be the same way. They are more of a different race. They are personified winter, which brings with them an alien concept of what we would regard as evil or good. So I guess they will transcend the question of good and evil in that way. Hmm. 
but I don't think there will be anything like, oh, it was the humans who somehow provoked them or something like this. No, I mean, you could still have, like, maybe they were here first and they were kicked up up there. Now we don't agree with what they're doing now. What they do now is wrong, but they weren't. They had some reason for being mad. And then wait 10,000 years. Oh, yeah, okay, maybe. Maybe Maybe they were hit with such a blow that it took 10,000 years to, right. to recover. Yeah, <laughs> be, they were just very, they're very patient up there. You know, they go skiing. Yeah. They hang out in their lodge, yeah. you know. They wear Christmas <laughs> sweaters, and yeah. uh, but you were saying something like they're, they're kind of maybe amoral, or they're, they're kind of with the seasons. Like they they come like the world, this world, something happens to it that activates them, activates magic every once in a while, and they right. thrive on that. And otherwise, they're although as best we know, they've only been a, a going concern in the world twice, right? The the yes. long night, mm. and then this. Um, you know, they're not like, yeah. I, who knows what brought you know. The first one is so far back in the recesses of history that I guess it's impossible to say with any kind of certainty what the trigger for it was. But who knows? Maybe like ten, you know, however many thousands of years ago, plus you know, four hundred years, there was a Doom of Valyria kind of situation, and that was what woke them up. And it just takes them a few hundred years to get revved up again. I don't know. I guess we can say hmm. with some confidence that there had to be a trigger. It was a one-time event because since the Long Night, they definitely didn't show up. And uh, they seem to be something of a surprise to the children of the forest, too. So um, I guess we would know if they had to deal with them before. That's what I'm saying. So. But they were active before, like, anything with the with the recent magic was going on, right? Like, they're still up there yes. doing stuff at the start yeah. of the series. Yeah, before the dragons, yeah. before... Oh, hmm. I don't know. What else is... I, I wouldn't connect it to the dragons. That seems more It's like independent. Right, right. But... It, I, I might, but even, even though I don't like the idea that dragons themselves increase magic in the world, I feel like they're just a sign of magic yes. coming back. Right, they're, they're, the, they're the symptom so. and not the cause. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely what I would yeah. get behind. Though when you see them, then you might have more faith in, in trusting magic. So in that way, they reinforce people relying on magic. They're like, hey, there's dragons. I'm going to go try out these spells that wouldn't have worked before. Yes. Yeah, and I guess it's not impossible to imagine that they kind of... Have. It's suggested that some, I mean, some people do believe that in, in the books. Within the books themselves, the alchemists are like, are there dragons now? Like, our spells yeah, are getting better. Yeah. So, but I don't know if he just means like it's a sign of it. People, I just I can't see how three dragons can affect the whole world, but I, I guess I don't understand how magic yeah, works. Yeah, it is like, it's magic, and I guess it's, it's impossible <laughs> to understand kind of by definition. The dragon waves are going around the world. It's permeating in the dragon town or whatever. Like, it's this dragon particle. I think it particle. was Elio. You know, I, don't, I may be making this up, or I may be correct, and it was Elio who suggested this. But I've always kind of gotten the picture of Daenerys as a person around whom, like, the currents of magic and history and destiny kind of uh, con- converge. Almost she's like Magneto, but for, like, invisible forces, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, um, yeah. you know, not necessarily literally, but to me it's been a helpful way to think of her and why she's so exceptional. <laughs> you know, why she doesn't burn, why all these prophets yeah. are telling her shit. Um you know, why when she hatches the dragons, all of a sudden, like, magic becomes such a big thing. It's not that she's a cause, but she's just sort of this linchpin figure. You know, perhaps in the same way that Melisandre suggests the wall is, like, one of the magical linchpins of the world, and I guess a shy is another one. Um, you know, it's, it's magic, so you can't... Martin's not going to let you break it down in a scientific way, because that's not appealing to him. You know, he's yeah. not the he's not the Aragon dude, yeah. but... Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, 
<laughs> I guess that's how I thought of it. You know, I mean, the other thing is that whatever's going on with the others and the dragons may be completely separate because I think there are different kinds or strains of magic in this world. You know, there's the eastern, yeah. southern, fiery, bloody, shadowy magic, like uh, like a sort of loose confederacy of different kinds of magic. And then there's the northern ice, uh, you know, skin-changing, green-seeing kind of stuff. And then apparently at the Roin, there was water and turtles and God knows what, so... Yeah, and there's, there's, there might be like different, like the four-way elemental type of magic. Like there's like a kind of a, it's more complex than two yeah. forms of magic. Yeah, absolutely. definitely. Yeah. Okay. Mm. I would like to jump into the other segment that you opened up, uh, Amin, because you have some questions from uh, the sort of uh, podcast of Ice and Fire forums, and I see sure. one that I would like to throw into the mix. Which is, um, just to quote, I think that Ned gets a bad rap as to how naive and too trusting he is. I think that he's almost as savvy as the players, he just has less patience for it. It doesn't mean he has no idea what's going on, but early on we see how he correctly questions his own motives, particularly with trusting Littlefinger, and pushes forward anyway. I just feel that Ned was going down in King's Landing no matter what he did, but he didn't bring most of, uh, of it on himself like a lot of people say. So uh, there is no question mark at the end, but obviously we can take a statement about this um, this declaration here. Hmm. I think this kind of matches uh, the point of view that Sun Atwell often does when he reviews the books and shows that Ned was just kind of unlucky to be in the South. He would like he does have some political background and experience, but he's just more suited to the northern northern game. Yeah, that's sure. always been that's always been my position as well. You know, I'm I'm on the record as being a pretty big Ned fan. Because, you know, I guess what I think happens is that a lot of readers pick up on the idea advanced in the books that Ned's nobility um, is in some way a liability for him. Uh, you know, because, and it, again, this is set up in the, the plot. You know, he the guy who you think is going to be the main character, the good dude who's going to figure everything out and set everything to right, gets murdered at the end of the first book. Um, so I think people maybe overcompensate for... Uh, you know, how characters like this work in traditional narratives and start being like, oh, well, now, of course, you know, he would never make it, you know, he was such a sap, he was such a sucker to be nice and to be, you know, and he was so naive and he trusted Littlefinger and he trusted Cersei and he did this and he did that. Like, oh, of course he was going to die. And I don't know that that's necessarily true. I've always felt that it's good that he behaved in a moral fashion and tried his best to you know, get to the truth and root out corruption, but also save lives and not act rashly. Um, just because he failed, I don't think means that the book is endorsing a position where you're like, what an asshole for trying to do that. You know, on the contrary, I don't think that's the case at all. So, and, you know, he's just, um, you know, you can point to a couple of mistakes he makes. He probably should have gotten his ducks a bit more in a row in terms of having like a personal retinue. Um, yeah. You know, he should have probably handled his uh, confrontation with Cersei where he is like, you know, I know what the deal is differently than he did. Then, like, allowing her free reign after that to do whatever. You know, if the idea was just to get them out of the castle, that seems like something you probably wanted to back up with swords in some way, you know? Or even mm -hmm. just, like, physical restraint. Like, uh, you know, I know he had... 
you can be uh, merciful, but but from a position of strength. Yes. Like if you have to like take the kids into custody first, and then you can be merciful later. Like he, yeah, yeah, he so. did make some mistakes, but it's not that he was like this complete and total rube who was just yeah. outclassed in every single way. Uh, you know, he came really close to you know to knocking over the whole house of cards. You know, even by Cersei's estimation, she was not right in saying this. She's like, you know, if it wasn't for Sansa, it all would have fallen apart, and that is not in fact true but it shows how close <laughs> she thought it was and how close she thought Ned had gotten you know so that's my take on it i think the definitive resource on this question is really a stephen edwell's uh, reread of a game of thrones it, it is really it informed my whole view on ned's arc in a game of thrones and i think he got it covered exhaustive so if you haven't read his analysis yet do it your life will be the richer for it and we have to keep in mind that it's Littlefinger is the one who keeps saying your honor and stuff is bottling it down, so you shouldn't just accept Littlefinger's characterization of what's going on there. No, I think. absolutely not. I think it was you, Sean, who has made the point that it is Tywin's legacy who is falling, uh, which is falling apart and not Ned's. There are yeah. people in the North dying for Ned's daughter, and there is literally no one who even sheds a tear for Tywin. Not even his own kids. The Feast for Crows shows how Tywin's legacy falls apart and the Dance of Dragons is really a redemption for Ned. The Ned. Right on, man. The Ned. <laughs> He's like the Donald of his era, right? They call him the Donald and they call Ned the Ned. And do you know that the comment about when Cersei said that Sansa told me her plans, even that I'm not sure about because I think from our reread we saw she was telling Tyrion that and like she just probably just needed an excuse. She's like, Sansa told me the plans. She's not going to be talking about like Ned found out about this or whatever. Littlefinger is the one who helped yeah. her. So I, I really would underplay with the fact, the effect that Sansa had. No, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, you know, I think maybe yeah. Cersei has a tendency to catastrophize. So I'm sure she wanted, mm. to, in her mind, it's, things are better if it, if it was like by the skin of our teeth we survived because she thrives on this siege mentality, you know? But I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you look at it, like Ned went to Littlefinger before he said anything to his daughters and before Sansa said anything to Cersei. And Littlefinger sold him out immediately, so Sansa's a non-issue unless you're Cersei and yeah. want to make it some kind of drama, you know, which that's kind of a deal. Okay, yeah. I mean, good question. Next question? Okay, let's see. Um, why is Bloodraven allied with the Children of the Forest is a question here. <laughs> well, I, they kept him alive, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah. They have the magic, they keep him alive, they are where he is, they fight the others, there's plenty of reasons. Yeah, he's a good guy, ultimately, and so are they. I don't know, it's like, why is Gandalf allied with, uh... Yeah! You know? Well, but, but, but Bloodraven, he can't equ equivalent him to Gandalf. Gandalf, we always knew, was was in the good. Bloodraven could still... And the, and the children, we're not quite true, sure about. True, true, true. I guess I just assume that, you know, if he's presented with some vision in which the world is going to end, unless he does X, Y, and Z to help these people out... You know, mm -hmm. he's not going to be like, well, I guess. But on the other hand, like, I never got to, I don't know. I don't, no, but he's, he's too. I mean, the guy was a badass. Like, you look at his life. He had a pretty awesome life. Yeah, that's true. That's life. true. My point is simply that even if he was a dick during his life or was kind of an ends justify the means, Machiavellian, total, you know, he had the spy network. He was just executing political opponents left and right. Um, you know, people were afraid to even say anything negative, all that kind of stuff. You know, ultimately, he he thought he what he was doing was for the good of the realm. He wasn't like a sadist, I don't think. 
So he wasn't doing it just for his own power because he's willing to to give himself up yes. for the benefit of the the what he thought was society. Like he'd take the blame yep. and yeah. Although be sent up at there. that point, I'm curious: had he seen anything in his visions or with his psychic abilities that made him think, you know what, I need to get to the wall? Yeah, I have heard that idea before mm-hmm. that he actually engineered his own downfall. Yeah, type thing because he's just so aware of everything. Right. Like it seems right. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Your turn. Oh boy, my turn. Um, We're actually powering through these. We're over halfway through. Yeah, this. I know. That's, I'm, That's I'm running out of. I'm looking through the list, and I was like, we did that, we did that, we did that. <laughs> the ones that underline. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, you can't see the Google Doc. The ones that underline. No, I can we've see. Done. I can see it. I can yeah. See it. Okay. Um, you know, I'm. This one. This is one I want to. <clears throat> are we allowed to tackle the ones from the future judgments? If you, like. you want, to, you want, if you to, want to, sure, yeah. Let's give a preview if you want. That's yeah, fine. Yeah. One of them is just, what, what happened to Benjen? Are we going to see Benjen again? I have no clue. I'm really curious. You know, I want to I want to hear you. I mean, I guess I could sit and read it, but I want to I want to hear what you guys think. Hmm. I'm also not really sure. I mean, Benjen has been this smoking gun for the whole series now. He He's always kind of there, but not really. And... It might be that this is one of the threads Martin will let leave hanging, you know, that that would fit his a little bit revisionist, sometimes cruel streak, because it's not that important in the end. Um, I think best theory where we could uh, realistically meet him again is if he is at Hardhome or in the vicinity of Hardhome. If he doesn't show up in the near future, I guess we won't see him again, is my point. I think we will see him again, given the build-up. I don't think he's sticking around. He probably dies. Like he's not going to be like at Endgame. Now he's back to like be a factor in northern politics. I think he's probably going to die fighting the good fight. But I do think that we'll see him. Okay. So, so you guys, think he's, you guys think he's alive and he's? Uh, well, maybe he's dead, but he's still around. Like, <laughs> right? Oh, <laughs> we'll, oh. we'll be able to, we'll be able to hear from him in his own words, even if he's like in undead state or something. But okay. I think we will see him on screen. You sound doubtful. Do you think uh, he isn't alive anymore? Who, me? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I... Yeah, I guess if... I mean, if I, had to, if I had to bet money on it, I would say he's not alive anymore. I wouldn't bet money on it. Uh, you, got, you got to be more specific. Like, alive, like, dead, dead, do you mean? Dead, dead. Like he's, like, uh, well, yeah. no, no, no. I yeah. guess I don't... I, what I mean is that Benjen is gone. Benjen's body may be up and moving around. But hmm. you know, it's it's oh, he's just like a white or something. Yeah, like, uh, if, if yeah, yeah, you know, if, yeah. if um, it seems as if Cold Hands at this point is kind of definitively not Benjen. Yeah. So after that, I don't know where that leaves Benjen. Uh, you know, it seems, you know, unless there's like Cold Hands too, Benjen Boogaloo. Uh, I don't really <laughs> know what. You know how, why Benjen would still be roaming around. I, I, not, not, not a Benjen is Dario fan. I, I take it. Oh my god! god. <laughs> Go away! Okay. Go away! No, but, but I want to throw out one clarification or more detail about it. I guess we will hear of Benjen at least once more. I that think I agree with. Learn what he did north of the wall, perhaps from himself. Perhaps we will only find clues. But we are not done with his story. Can we get behind yeah. that? Yes. Sure. Yep. Okay. So, cool. what is the ultimate fate of the dragons? That's one that I want to tell. <clears throat> oh, man. Will, or let's be more specific, will one of the dragons die before the end? I think the, the question is, will, will all of them die? 
That's you. So then, yeah, one, one will certainly, certainly die then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because sacrifice is, is needed, and they like, can't win without some sort of sacrifice that's, or that's just for costs. Sure. I, I guess why I'm phrasing uh, the question like I did, there are two major theories regarding Denny's dragons out there, and one of it, uh, them is that one one of them will die pretty soon in the Winds of Winter because uh, in, in the fight against Aegon or against Euron, who will most hmm. likely take over one of them. And on the other hand, it just seems fitting that Tyrion, John, and Danny, the three heads of the dragon, will in the end fly to the heart of winter. But for that, they need three dragons. <laughs> so I have these conflicting ideas in my head, and I'm not sure in which camp I will ultimately fall. I have uh, I have argued for both of them in the past, so I'm a little bit schizophrenic here. I, uh, oh boy. It's, it's you know here, here's what I, I i had not even <laughs> the idea of one of them dying in some fight against one of these other assholes had not even occurred to me to be honest with you the the main question that i have is again getting back to the lord of the rings and the templates that have been previously established for this material this kind of material lord of the rings obviously ends with the defeat of sauron and the destruction of the ring and you know all the orcs and stuff and trolls vanish in, in really what is amounts to orc genocide. Yeah, they didn't show that on screen, but they were... Rooting them out of their warrens and slaughtering them mercilessly, dumping them into pits. Um, and then, uh, you know, but at the same time, the three elven rings um, also stop working, and Rivendell and Lothlorien, you know, kind of lose their luster, and the elves start migrating west, and so does Gandalf and Frodo and Bilbo, and, you know, and magic is over, you know, within couple hundred years or whatever it's supposed to be and will this follow suit you know will the dragons die in some last ditch battle against the others and then it's this going to be now like kind of normal medieval world or will you know the seasons seem to be out of whack no matter what um but who knows like i'm just curious like to what extent does the climax of the series mean the end of what was magical about this fantasy setting. I don't know. Yeah, I think it kind of ties into potentially Danny's legacy, which we've, we've all discussed before. Is she like a Justinian where she's like a one last go at this thing, or is she going to actually found something that right. lasts? And if she found something that lasts, probably going to need a dragon right. to keep it going. Yeah, is it a new golden age, or is it just, uh, you know, the one last, last, last hurrah. hurrah? Yep, yep. Hmm. I'm for the last hurrah. <laughs> probably yeah and but i mean of the of the three dragons that die it's probably not going to be drogon right like which one would die be one of the other two um which one if they only want to um whichever I'm one's, not, yeah I, whichever one Tyrion's on because i don't think Tyrion's making it out of these books either okay i think yeah if if one of the dragons survives the end it will be drogon pretty sure but if one dies before it will be either Rhaegal or viserion I'm not mm. quite sure which one Euron will take. Instinctively, I would say Rhaegal. Because that should be John's dragon. Yeah. For obvious reasons. <laughs> <laughs> just, a, just a quick aside in relation to the to dragons. Uh, Viserion is gold, I think, right? Uh, yeah. Green, or it has like gold green scales. Cream uh, and gold. Yeah. 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 And what, 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 this, this was a. The theory I wanted to just run by you, the two of you, because we discussed it on our podcast before, was the what's the three betrayals of Danny? Like, is one is for well, blood was Miriam Asdur. Yeah. Gold 
the treasons are the, is the, I think the most difficult one to figure out because I think with the other two, <laughs> the second ones have been pretty firmly established. But gold could have been Viserion, like uh, the Dornishman trying to take her. Were they going for Viserion, oh, I though? I, think I didn't were... think that. I, I thought gold was, yeah. uh, you know, it might be Jorah, uh, you know, accepting payment for spying. But, it could be. But it's not really for gold, though. That's the thing. Well, like, that it, it wasn't really well, for second, his. Yeah, like, the second song yeah Brown Ben Plum. <laughs> um, but he, does, he, does he qualify as high enough of a betrayal? Like, well, yeah, it's I mean, a difficult one. You know, I, I don't know. That's, that's what I'm saying. I think this is tougher let me look i just i just wrote about this today but now my my brain is is swiss cheese and i can't find um but hold on let me see what i well, let me see what i speculated all right the three fires okay the first one's obviously caldrogo the second one seems most likely the house of the undying so that's two the three mounts uh the first one was the horse the silver horse that she rode on her wedding night the second one seems again almost certainly Drogon, uh, picking her up from the fighting pits and driving her to the Dothraki Sea. Carrying her, not driving her. It's not like a chauffeur. They got in a limousine. It's, it's Drogon's her Uber driver, I guess. And then, uh, you know, the third, um, fire is a mystery still, and the third mount is a mystery still. So you would think that at this point in the story, we would have a, the second treason would be relatively easy to figure out. And I just, it's not, not compared to the other ones. You know, Miriam Asdor is the first treason, absolutely. And then the treason for gold. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, I wrote, it could be Jorah, it could be Brown Ben Plum. You know, there's speculation that maybe Dario will fuck her over. Um, which seems reasonable. But I'm just surprised it hasn't happened for sure yet, you know. So your second, the the one to dread was Drogon, you're saying, the, the mountain? Eh? Yeah, I think so. Hmm. Why is there? Are there working theories for other mounts? I guess. Are you saying that all three mounts are then actually like animals? Yes. Or, yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hmm. I figure the one to love. By the way, she's gonna ride ghosts. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like piggyback riding. Yes. <laughs> right, right. No, I mean no. You know, like he's a big. You know, he's like a wolf the size of a horse, right? She can, she yeah. can ride, and she's she's small. She could be a wolf rider. They have that Warcraft. Fuck yeah, so. man! They fucking send out your wog riders, and it's uh, Amelia. <laughs> you know, and the weird, fucked up looking orc, like you know, sends out Amelia Clark on the back of a, of a warg. Um, That's an image I won't get out of my head soon. <laughs> and she's she's the one who like throws Aragorn off the cliff. Okay, and so yeah, the one to bed, I guess, is is, is the horse as well. Yeah, okay. and then so yeah, the. The fires for life is, you know, hatching the dragons with the funeral pyre, and for death yeah. is killing the... Because mounts is also be interpreted as people, too, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it can. Um, yeah, but in that yeah. case, like, Drogo, yeah. like, Drogo could be both to bed and to dread, right? Cause... Well, that could be a Greyjoy, though. That's oh, a possible good problem, Lord. right? She's not going to fuck a Greyjoy. Well, here's the, here's the thing! Here's the thing! Because <laughs> in the House of the Undying, you know, there's... So there's those three, the three fires, the three mounts, the three treasons... <laughs> There's Mother Dragon Slayer yeah. of Lies, where it's like, you know, she basically sees Stannis and uh, fake Aegon, and then some mystery stone beast breathing shadow fire from a crumbling, taking wing off a crumbling tower, smoking tower, whatever. That's a mystery. Yeah. And then there's Mother Dragon's Bride of Fire. The first one is pretty clearly Drogo. She sees the horse, her own horse, riding under the stars like she did on her wedding night. The third one is the Blue Flower growing from a chink in the wall of ice which is obviously john and so when you put those yeah. two together with bride of fire you think well these are people she's going to marry right or has married 
So the middle one, though, is the ship, you know, there's a, a, a bright-eyed dead man, you know, smiling with his gray lips, smiling sadly on the bow of a ship. Yeah. Who is that? So yeah. maybe she does, you know, you, when you think of ship and gray and blah, 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 you think Greyjoy and Victarion's there. And even though I think Victarion's not long for this world and he's not yeah. really the smiling type or even the sad. Yeah, he's not the smiling type. Euron is a type that would right, be smiling. Like wouldn't a, be smiling a, sadly. Yeah. Gray lip, gray smiling yeah, I, lips. Does it, does it, does it say sadly? It does, I, I, that it seems does which I think complicates yeah. it because Victarion is a yeah. sad sack, but he's not sad. He's just he's just <laughs> pissed all the time. And Euron... No, but he feels sorry, isn't he sad yeah, about that? but not in like a kind of wistful way. He mostly just uses it... <laughs> he's just yeah, a blameful he, he way. He doesn't hold himself yeah. at fault for that at all. He's like, look what you made me yeah. do, Euron, you creep. That guy has no self-awareness. <laughs> he not take responsibility. No, he, has, he has no yeah. self-awareness. So... Yeah. So who is this yeah. uh, this mystery husband? Who's the corpse? He, he's closer to the corpse because he might be, be being kept alive right. by McCorrell. Right, and there's the whole other thing. Like, yeah. is it someone who's like but, effectively a dead man walking, like Victarion with his wound, oh. or John Connington with his grayscale? Do the bright eyes mean he's a white? I don't know. Yeah. I think the important part bright is eyes, he's yeah. sad smiling because John Connington is not a type for sad smiles, and neither is Victorian, so those you can rule out. Uh, you're a, so you can rule those out, but it's really difficult. Who does it? Sh- who? Yeah, I'm baffled. Um, this one is really baffling to me because I do think it has to be someone with whom she is, <laughs> you know, if not romantically involved, and it's some kind of marriage of convenience or something, and I have no clue who it's going to be. It, it 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 could just be like it's Victorian and Martin maybe didn't write them the best way. Like what makes the most sense to Victorian temporarily because he has a fleet coming in with them. That's too. true, and you know some of these things do change. Like I think when Martin wrote the initial uh, quake, he changed what he was going to do with yeah, Victorian. Maybe you know, he I changed think he his character. Initially but... intended Danny to actually go to a shy, and now she's not going to go to a shy. So the meaning of that changes somewhat. You know, the, you know to to reach the light and you have to pass beneath the shadow or whatever. Um, hmm. So, you know, as time passes, yeah, maybe it just winds up being like kind of not the best possible description of Victorian, but it's Victorian anyway. I don't know. She only had a quick, you could just be like, she had a quick glimpse. She misread the smile a bit or something. Like it's, it's like a That's true. Vision. That's true. Right. Yeah. 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 You, you can justify it. Yes. Yeah. So what we talk about wishes is Varys the perfume uh, Seneschal? No. Uh, let's see. So, is it? No. No, I think the Perfume Seneschal is the ship named the Perfume Seneschal. <laughs> <laughs> you really think? Yes! I mean, they, yeah. they have, you know, they, 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 you know, he plants red herrings like he always does, which is one of the things I like so much about the use of prophecy, is that it can always be variably interpreted. You know, there's never, been, there's yet to be a slam dunk prophecy in a lot of ways. Um, but I just think, uh, yeah, the Senesh- the perfume Seneschal is the ship <laughs> named the perfume Seneschal. I mean, and then the the other common alternative is Resna- Resnak Mo Resnak, I guess, right? That's like the yeah the one that's popular. Yeah. No, I actually had a theory. I I, I need to find it because I wrote it out. It's, it's pretty crazy. Like it 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 relates to one of the guys that runs the Maesters. I think like the former Grand Maester or something, because he could still count as a Seneschal. And like apparently like he did a lot he put a lot in emotion beforehand, he might have been part of the dragon conspiracy, and now he's just like shitting his pants all the time and they actually perfume him up to cover the smell. So that was the perfume <laughs> Seneschal. Oh. Wow. I, I, I wrote it up somewhere, I need to find it so that I can properly give <laughs> But I mean maybe it's one of these things where more than one person really or more than one thing really is being referred to, you know. 
I'm a firm proponent in the idea that more than one character will fulfill all the conditions for Azora High Reborn. So um, it can be true of both Danny and John, for example. So maybe it's true of Chip <laughs> and Dude and another dude. I don't know. I'm very open-minded about this stuff. It's really what it comes down to. Okay. <laughs> Fun with it, guys. Yeah. Oh, somebody was saying that uh, Marwin might be the perfume Seneschal. That was Adam Feldman's point of view. I he's not perfume nor Seneschal. <laughs> <laughs> Nymeria could be the perfume Seneschal. <laughs> I mean, if this is the riddle, she really has to look for a diable, so beware. <laughs> So I, oh, yeah, I, I, I posted a comment back there in the court. I was saying that it's Archmaester Walgrave, who is technically actually Seneschal. He's still, he's 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 in that rank. Somebody else is running his duties. He's feeble of mind and feeble of body. He needs an adult diaper. And uh, they actually douse him with sense to cover the smell. Hence the perfume Seneschal, which is the figurehead both politically and prophecy-wise for the main group of anti-magic maesters. <laughs> Holy shit, man. That's a great yeah. theory. I like that. Cool. Anyways, that's the theory. We'll see what, what goes anywhere. But. I love yeah. it, man. That's great. Yeah. Wow. That's dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> All right, boys. On that exciting note, I'm going to leave you to it. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, thanks a lot for participating. Sure, yeah. Hey, it's my pleasure. I love what you guys do with this thing. And, I mean, thanks for having me and thanks for having sure, us. Sure. Take out a doggy bag with lemon cakes and uh, moon tea and such. We've got one for Oh, I appreciate yeah. it. That'll come in handy. Yeah. And some you perfume know, as well. You can perfume up. So. Oh, well, I, I assure you, I don't need that. <laughs> I smell great. <laughs> and another picture that is not going to leave me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take care. Yeah, fellas. take care. Cheers. Yeah, bye. 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 So it's just supreme judges again. Yeah. So this, Should we check the rest? Do you want to take like a two minute break? There's only a couple more questions, right? Yeah, yeah. Or... We can we can go through it pretty quickly, I think. Yeah. Anyways, let's go back to the questions okay. here. Good to go? Okay. Uh, questions. I've just been underlining the ones we've been doing. Just yeah, to, I also did. Because I, I was trying to strike through them, but that wasn't working, yeah, so I just underlined Same yeah. thing for me. You ready to go? Yeah. So, right. the next question I want uh, to tackle now that we are only two, not that it has anything to do with Sean missing, but uh, the question is, is the Song of Ice and Fire about pacifism? And this is your uh, judgment here is of special interest to me because Sean and I have been on record multiple times saying that it is our conviction that Song of Ice and Fire really is an anti-war story and has a pacifist streak at least. So what do you think about this topic? I think I pretty much agree with you guys in, in the fact that Martin does have the anti-war story. He has um, the, he shows the consequences of War One, and he has he specifically had that speech, right? The guy at the yeah. island. It was a speech or was a guy who was walking that way. Yeah. So that's, if there's, if there's anything to take away from the series, that's definitely one of them. Um, but I, but I, but I don't, like, and he, and he himself, as he's, as in his own life, like he was a projector, right? He didn't serve yes. the military, I believe. So that ties into that. But I think he's also, he is aware, 
and in, in other inter- interviews he said like even though he may have this pacifist or peaceful point of view he's still aware of like the other side of like people going to war like that sense of camaraderie because it has existed in the past and he tries to reflect that as well people do fear feel that going there so i think he's not like painting it all one way but i think yeah i think i pretty much overall agree that there's there's an anti-war theme in the story okay just to plug in one uh, other shameless self-promotion sean and i talked about this (laughs) stuff in the last uh boiled leather audio hour when we uh, talked about because martin said that he would have fought in World War II, but not in the Vietnam War. And this is a topic we, uh, mm. we tackled in the last podcast. So why did would he have fought uh, in World War II, and what is the analogous war in the Son of Ice and Fire? So if you're interested more in this line of argument, check out the Boiled Leather Audio Hour. Okay, commercial sure. break, over. Yeah. So, so is is that, that so? It's it's kind of relate to I guess like the war against the others is necessary, like to hold them off. But these little squabbles are not because they're just. Pure yes. power yes. struggles. Yeah. Okay. And, and then there is this question mm. that makes me sad only reading it. What will the future of the Song of Ice and Fire community be after all? Uh, after all, the books are out and the series is over. Well, I think it's going to be somewhat related to the state of the Lord of the Rings community, I guess, even before the movies came out. It was still going on. People were still reading and still discussing it. It's just not going to be in the forefront of the media anymore. Yeah, and that's what I would say as well. Many of those uh, theory questions will will be dying down, and it will yeah. be mostly about loose loose threads, basically, and how to read and stuff like it. I think much of the discussion will then center more on questions like, is it a pacifist story or not, uh, and yeah. not as much on who is Judge Snow's mother. And it's a little easier to do those overall anal- analysis questions when you have the whole series <laughs> oh, yes. with you, rather than halfway through to kind of predict where it's going. Yeah, oh, it, it will never quite be the same as it is no. now, for sure. I'm immensely it's, enjoying it's still developing. it. It's hard to but I also yeah. want to know how it ends. Yeah, but you know what? I, I'm I'm not going to be so unhappy that that it gets a little bit out of the main pop culture eventually. Like people will see all the show and it'll be done, and then it won't. Uh, uh, there's some de- detriments to being in pop culture all yes. the time too. I think so. Then, then when you meet somebody who wants to talk about it like 10 years from now, you know they really want to talk about it. So, but I mean, we, we have all immensely benefited from, we have to admit, we have benefited from the fact that the show is pop culture now. Like That's helped with our podcast. It's helped with going to the events like Comic-Con, which we probably wouldn't have been there if it hadn't got this popular everywhere. So I am aware of that, but you, you can get burned out when there's so much going on. on it. Yeah, it, it, it is really an ambivalent thing. I also experienced this if, if people say, I like Game of Thrones and I'm, hey, brother in arms, what do you think about stuff? And then they are <laughs> like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I'm, okay, you yeah. just watched the series once, that's your, you like Game of Thrones and I'm, I'm just a geek and I'm stuck this conversation now. Uh, you know, um, so yeah, it, it has its ups and downs. Yeah. But um, I think, like, and we kind of, dis- I might have discussed this on, on the, uh, yeah, we had discussed in one of the uh, rulings, or just like, what will the ultimate legacy for the show will be? Will, it, will people think, will the people think of the show or of the books, like, 20 years from now or 30 years from now? I, I think it's still the yeah, books in, that, in the long run. I'm currently not sure whether we have published this or if it is only in the drafts. So uh, I don't yeah. want to go too deep into it, but we definitely had a disagreement about this. Hmm. Good. Well, then, uh, for the listeners out there as well, let us know what you think. Do you think, like, way in the future, is, are the books going to be the what define the series or the show? 
I, I think it's the books. I also hope it's the books. Those two things are in alignment. Even if I thought it was the show, I would still think I would hope it would be the books. But yeah, I think yeah. for Lord of the Rings, it's more in the movies now, at least at the moment. I think it's still too soon. I think you got to give it another thirty years <laughs> yeah, and it'll well, shift back to the that's books. Obviously true. Yeah. <laughs> then everyone will be like, "Oh, those show the graphics was shitty in that these movies. They're all two D movies. They're not good." <laughs> But the the books are eternal. It'll always be the same medium for. You can't the, plug into the movie and walk through the middle of what shit yeah. is that? Yeah, you can't run this movie in the holodeck. It doesn't <laughs> yeah. work. So, so. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah. which prophecies will be coming true in the Winds of Winter? Oh, uh, that's a broad question. Uh, one thing for sure: uh, the Slayer of Lies. Or no, no, that's not sure. Actually, hmm. no, it is not sure. Um, what will come true is Maggie the Frog's yeah. prophecy. I think we will witness Cersei's downfall. Yes. In the next book. And the yeah. death of her children. That is one thing that I am, yes, 100% sure will be in the Winds of Winter. And, also, and, you, and you're pretty much sure that Marcella and Tommen will both actually yes, die. That's absolutely. Gonna be, or, I'm, not... I am positive on that. Oh, that's sad. I, aren't you? <laughs> I was always hoping that, like, Marcella would, like, die to her or something, turn away against her okay. or something, so she would still be around, but... I think they will both die. De- um, I'm pretty sure about this, and it will uh, utterly break Cersei, at which point uh, Jamie will give her the mercy kill, something like this. Hmm. But other wow. than that, prophecies that will come short, um, I think we will also witness the birth of John as Sora High, you know, the birth uh, from blah blah, smoke and salt and stuff that we should witness. Yep. Yeah, but other than that, most prophecies will come true in A Dream of Spring. Then we will really see a host of fulfillments. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, we're specifically talking about prophecies here, not yeah, just yeah, theories. It's, it's okay, prophecies, specific. Yeah, I'm trying to look at the then if there's, there's so a... many prophecies, there's a little bit of a problem. It's, it's really hard yeah. to ah yeah. Another is Mirimasdur's prophecy. I think it will be finished in uh, the Winds of Winter, especially and Kaith, uh, especially those parts about to go uh, west, you have to go east, to go south, you have to go north, and all that kind of stuff. I think this is material for the Winds of Winter. This, uh, yeah, this, I mean, Winds of Winter, Winter is going to be incredibly important for the series one when it comes out, but just to, like, you and I and Sean, like, we all enjoy the Dance of Dragons, but we still come from that perspective of taking the world building and theories. Like, just in terms of general plot, it was slow, and if they got another one like that in the next book, I think that could be really harmful I, I think, to the uh, series especially perception. given that we will start with two battles, that's not really a concern. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on here. What's, we've only got yeah, a couple it's, left. It's I not think, much, so. really. Uh, so le- let's take one on the prominent spot here because it's from, uh, I hope I pronounced this right, Carl Wedigi, who is serving as a clerk to the Supreme Court. Many thanks for this again. So, And he's asking, what was Doran's long-term plan for Myrcella, assuming that the Lannisters get demolished in the upcoming war and or that the incest allegations get proven? I think that... Uh... Doran wasn't planning to harm her himself. I mean, he might not have been able to control what happens, but I, I don't think he was going to plan to harm her specifically. Yeah, I also think some benign exile or something. You know, she was only betrothed uh, to Tristane, so that could be seen with Sansa. Yeah. It can be called off at any time, and it's convenient. 
and then he would have her uh, as a reassurance against Lannister wildcard stuff. And if all this all the dust settles, he can simply put her into the water gardens and give her a nice life. Yeah, I think I agree. And uh, yeah, again, thanks to Cal Wadagi and to Amber, our two clerks at the court, for really helping out a lot there. So uh, it's a nice program we have here at the court, night set up. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> All right, and I think we have uh, one two question left. Let's see. Two. Yes, two, okay. it's two. So uh, let's tackle the one uh, we have here about Arya. Sure. My question is, what does the future hold for Arya after Braavos? I've seen a number of good theories about her inevitable break with the Faceless <coughs> Men and how all of that may go down as well as about how she will go back to Westeros. But what do you think happens once she actually arrives? Where does her story go from there? And most importantly, how likely is it that she survives the series and gets some semblance of a happy ending? I think if I had to say it right off the top of my head, I'm, I'm, I'm finding it difficult to find to get her to a happy ending at this point, given all she's gone through. Mm. Like it's, she's going to need some recovery period to, to even get back to being a normal functioning. What mm. do you think? I think she definitely will survive because Martin promised his wife. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, maybe till the end, and maybe she's just found cold after winter, like frozen or whatever, like John quipped one time. Yeah, yeah. She, she will survive. Uh, I think we can take this as granted. Uh, but yes, happy ending. I, <coughs> if this question comes up, I'm always returning to Martin's own quote about it. It will be bittersweet. So, yes, I guess she will be one of the characters who is best served by whatever happens after. Um, but there is a rocky road ahead, I'm pretty sure. So sh- she will fall out with the Faceless Man pretty soon. I'm more or less on board with the theory that, yeah. and that she will then get entangled with the uh, Iron Bank somehow, and that way learn about the events in Vestros and decide to go back. And from there on, she has to reunite with Nymeria. She She simply has to. Hmm. So uh, I guess she has to wind up in the Riverlands or call her North. One of those. Because I mean, the thing is, if she actually gets over to the Riverlands, and she actually is close to where Stoneheart is, if Stoneheart's still alive, or I mean, still around at that time. Yeah, and my feeling yeah. is she won't be at that moment. Yeah. So yeah. But I, you think a Nymeria meetup meet is going to happen then? She's gonna yeah, see it should. I mean, we have multiple clues <coughs> of Nymeria still being alive and playing an active role in the Riverlands. And we have multiple clues about Arya making contact with her. And then we have the manner of their departure with Arya throwing stones at her. So there is this tension and suspense that needs to be released at some point. It would be a missed opportunity, and I don't think Martin will miss this opportunity. And Arya is is definitely developing her skin-changing skills, because isn't she like skin-changed into a cat at some point? Yeah, and they they don't even know how she's doing that. They're like, how is she able to do this? Like, so they're not a really fully aware of that power. But if she's developing that, she should easily be able to communicate with Nymeria when she comes yes, back. Yes, definitely. I think this will yeah. be more tense and suspenseful on an emotional level, and not exactly yeah. on oh, it's dangerous. You know what I mean? Uh, but but yeah. emotionally, uh, her connecting with Nymeria might also be owing up her Stark heritage and stuff like that. There, there has to be a moment of in my opinion. That's how you, you gotta like reboot when you meet up with your wolf. That's how John's gonna do. Like maybe he'll be under Melisandre's control initially, then like ghosts will help yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Or, 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 be, or staying when John, I mean, staying inside ghosts temporarily will keep his personality mm-hmm. around, right? 
Yeah. I guess so. This would also be a nice mirror image now that you mention it, because John and Arya hmm. are very close. So both of them connecting their real selves via the wolves would make sense. Yeah, you just gotta back up before you format, and yeah, then you can. <laughs> yeah, I mean those are very technical terms, but yes, that would make sense. Yeah, no, the, the wolves are sent for a reason, right? Like, yeah. uh, and we were saying, probably Blood Raven sent them, but like they're they're that tie, and then. It, well, then that kind of ties in back into that qu- people because people don't like the the argument that is made that well Sansa's wolf is dead and then she's no longer a Stark. I think I mean she's still a Stark, but she still lost some of that connection there potentially. She can't reboot in the same way. Yeah, but she doesn't need to. Hmm. So she just kept it init- internally herself. Just still. I think uh, surprisingly enough, Sansa is currently the most emotionally stable Stark child around, <laughs> which yeah. is saying a lot about the others. Uh, but but really, she she has her personality intact. She locked it away inside her, but she can mm-hmm. access it at, at any point. And we are starting to see in um, Feast for Crows and the Dance with Dragons, and of course in the sample chapters, that she starts doing that. I, well, I think Rickon's going to be the most old school Stark, <laughs> oh, <hell yeah. laughs> the old wild wolf Stark type thing. So yeah, I also don't think that he will be much uh, much of importance in the end game. Oh, he's going to be a shaggy dog. Like somebody mentioned, like that's a term. Like somebody who's not actually going to be important, but nah. appears to be so is a shaggy dog or something. So just just and just a quick point to run by you. I, I feel like like I've said many times, I feel like we've talked about this. I guess we're going. To, that's what happens when you're waiting for the book. You talk about the same issues over and over again. But I feel you're on board that like Ned actually was more of an Aaron than a Stark. Yes. Right, the way he was grown up with and, and raised that way, so that that's quite interesting. Yes, I have. This I think. is one of my older theories, actually. I'm uh, throwing that one mm. around for a while now. I didn't come up with it; I read it somewhere, but it is definitely older. Yeah, I mean, you, let's give credit when credit is due. You you did pen Southron ambitions. That was actually your that's my brain article. So. I, I mean, uh, enough of it is true that it resonates. I think, right? Like, it just the. What what was going on in the south? This is what you, is what you're saying, right? This is not usual to have these kind of marriage alliances outside of your. Yeah, region. that was basically the argument. We are seeing many marriages between, usually between, uh, the overlords of a certain region and one of their stronger bannermen, which also makes dynastic sense, by the way. And then suddenly, yeah. before the rebellion, we get a lot of intermarriages between uh, the big houses, which doesn't seem common, especially if you look a little bit at the. Um, at the lineages, uh, it doesn't happen often. So my question was, why? Yeah, and those and those marriages, I mean, really helped in the first rebellion, but they kind of failed in the second, unfortunately. I mean, it's hard to predict that, but but uh, marriages within your area would have really helped if if the Tullys had married the Freys, yeah. that would have tied them it's in closer how that initially. Comes back to haunt you, right? The yeah. best they well, after those first marriages, probably thought, "Oh, I don't need to like send anybody to marry the Freys." But if he, if they had put Edmure already like married to a Frey at the start of the books, yeah, that would have been crucial. Yes, absolutely. This is this is the brilliance yeah. of the whole uh, of the whole thing, basically, that all those plans are ultimately for naught because you can't lean too far ahead. Uh, too far ahead, yes, they were incredibly helpful in the rebellion. And they also sowed the seeds for their downfall eventually, especially the lies of yeah. John Aaron. It was vital to get Aaron's support in the rebellion, and it brought down everything in the end. So, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it is always the same thing. And uh, we see it in our own history all the time. A decision that made a whole lot of sense 
back when it was made, 20, 30 years down the road, it is proving to be disastrous. I just, let me just throw the Missouri Compromise out there, for example, was a good solution at the time, <laughs> but 30 years later, it created all kinds of problems. So, um, oh, I think you need to make sure everyone knows what you're talking about here. The Missouri Compromise was this um, idea that um, back at the time when the United States still expanded, uh, that you would get uh, one yeah. free state for every slave state. And uh, this was a compromise at that time because it kept the conflict under wraps, uh, but it really let it explode later when they didn't adhere to it anymore, and it created a dangerous precedent. Yeah. And you you have this kind of stuff really all the time, and it's nice to see it in fantasy too, because too many fantasy or science fiction stories really simplify politics to the point of, I don't know, parody. You and uh, Stephen Atwell actually did an episode history that we actually have also a copy on Vassal of the Kingsgrave. Yeah, we did two. And one of the ones that we have in VOK, you guys talk about lessons of history and how there are lessons of history, but they're often from 50 years ago, not for now. Then you try to like use them yes. now, it's too late. Like it's a, we have new lessons now. So I guess that was kind of what was happening here. Like at that time, it to press for far off alliances, but what they really needed now was more connections within like the regional areas tying people in a bolton a marriage would have been useful they would have been more connected <laughs> than they were like apparently they hadn't married at all they like for at last their houses are united. they could also have married uh, in the mandalay family but uh, they had no close connection yeah. that is the big problem because if they had one close yeah. uh, there would be a no-brainer second in command to rob yeah I still think it's a huge mistake to send Benjamin to the wall. Like yes. You could send him anywhere for a yes. good marriage. It is strange. Some yeah. some of those uh, things have been mulled over and over and over again. And they simply... Yeah. <laughs> the thing you come down on all the time on those issues is because Martin wanted it to happen that way. And I think some of those yeah. uh, questions will only be resolved in that way. Martin wanted this to happen, and so it happens. And you you can you can try to find justifications, but never really satisfactory explanations. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the earlier they are, maybe the mo the more that it's like that because it was written so long ago and it can't be changed yes. now. So. But Benjamin is really on the top of the list or in the top bracket of that list. It doesn't seem to make sense. Right. And if you ask Stephen Edgeable, he will go on about the disputed land, so, um, because it makes zero sense that they are barren. It's, it's those little decisions. It's not uh, really important to hmm. the story overall, but you can see where the cracks are in the long-term planning of Mark. Well, he's a big world builder, but he still didn't go into depth of some other people, I think, right? He's still more of like, the, it's not his thing just to world build from the very start. He writes and then, then world builds yes. on the way. Maybe. And that's a good thing, too. I well, mean, he does it very well. Uh, if someone can do yeah. this well, please go ahead. Uh, but you have to be aware that this may answer some of your questions as to why it is the way it is. All right. Well, we got one question left here, so we just wrap yeah, it up here. Just give it to Let's us. See. Yeah, so it's, the, it's from Witless Chami saying, My theory is that Littlefinger's preservation of the veil from the War of the Five Kings and what appears to be the upcoming devastation of winter... Uh, it's going to be essential for the survival of, uh, of humanity against the others because, uh, well, I guess because of the stockpile of food and troops. And I add that uh, Peter will actually be remembered in a good way as a powerful old man, maybe the hand to the queen. Am I right? Or if I'm not, should George change his mind and do it differently? Or what? what yeah. So what, what do you think of this 
proposal no, <laughs> for a little no finger any of us. I think no, you are not right, yeah. and no, yeah. Martin shouldn't change this. I am, <laughs> I am pretty confident that uh, Littlefinger's machinations will all come to nothing, and that he will die yeah. at the hand of the others, and not in any glorious way. He will be one death amidst many in oh. an event he has no control over <clears throat> and that he didn't foresee, and he will be forgotten. Not remembered as a bad guy, not as a master schemer, wow. not as a good guy. He will simply be forgotten. <laughs> and I, I think that is the most fitting fate that Little Finger uh, <laughs> can get. So uh, no one bother goes. Do you think he's actually going to die to the others then? That's how he's going to die? Like he'll be within that? Yes, and... Uh, uh, again, to give credit where it's due, that's also not, nothing I came up with. I have read this uh, theory in the way I just laid it down on the brilliant Tumblr, Poor, uh, poor Quentin. If you don't know it, check it out. Uh, we should link it uh, mm. in the section sure. as well. Uh, that guy is really brilliant. He has been writing for only 10 months or so, but uh, all of his stuff is really great. And yes, I think... Uh, him dying at the hand of the others makes a lot of sense narratively because uh, Littlefinger is totally obsessed with the machinations of the Game of Thrones which we have established by now is unimportant uh, in relation to the others and it is just uh, a diversion to uh, mount an effective resistance. So if Littlefinger is killed by them it will render everything he worked for moot uh, and all the bad things he did will come to nothing in the end. So um, I would, uh, and the theory that poor Quentin laid out uh, is going like he will rally the Knights of the Whale and uh, take them, take Sansa, go to the north and make a bid for Winterfell. Yeah. And this will be his downfall in a multitude of ways because Tyrion, way back in the Game of Thrones, armed the uh, tribesmen of the Whale and promised them the Whale. And as soon as the Knights of the Whale uh, are going, they will take it and start a bloodbath and burn all those piles of food that Littlefinger has made up. <laughs> and then the Knights of the Whale will be stranded in the north. The others will come, chop them all to pieces. Uh, Sansa will desert him and he will die alone and forgotten. Now, do you think uh, Littlefinger is dumb enough, though, to, to like send that many guys away without dealing with the mountain men first? I don't think like... he has them even on his radar. I think that is one hmm. of his many blind spots because Littlefinger is not really the detail man. Uh, he, yeah. he has his plans and uh, he has a good a good feeling for machinations and how you can influence and manipulate people. But I don't think he's actually that brilliant in military terms or anything like that. And uh, obviously the people in the Vale aren't either. So I guess he doesn't know that Tyrion armed them to the teeth. Well, that part, yeah, but I mean, even even Lysa kind of mentions that they're getting married. She's like, oh, these mountain men have been really troublesome lately, but Littlefinger will deal with them. So you feel like at least he's being informed that they've been troublesome. Yeah, okay, perhaps he sent 20 additional men to the mountains of them, uh, to, the, <laughs> uh, to the bloody gate, I mean. And then he uh, yeah. regards it as safe. I... Well, I, oh, I think uh, if you if you leave a good garrison, like, the Eyrie's not going to fall from a land no, attack. I mean, if Tyrion flies in on his dragon... And no something. one is at the area at the moment because it's winter. Oh, that's true, yeah. They're at the gate area down below. That's still pretty secure, though. Isn't there like a whole multiple ways Yeah, in, of course. Uh, there is a, there is a big yeah. castle and everything. But if if yeah. only a skeleton force is left and uh, those guys are attacking, all bets are off. Tyrion armed the, the men that came with him Tywin's camp. 
Like, they didn't send, like, more weapons over to the area, to, 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 to the jail, um, right? No, they did not, but uh, all the tribes yeah. uh, did plunder a good deal uh, during uh, the, the course of uh, Clash yeah. of Kings, and they were all rewarded uh, by Tywin, who bought them off in order to destroy Tyrion's power base. So even if Tywin yeah. didn't give them weapons directly, he gave them stuff with which they could purchase weapons. So the resources are definitely there. Okay, I, I, I still, I, I, I might agree overall with the idea of others taking Littlefinger down, but I, I, I just, I don't have that much respect for the, for the, for the guys. I don't think they have the numbers that the, even the total also, numbers that were with Tyrion, some of them died, some of them are still yeah, in the Yeah, yeah, I, I don't want to say that they, they will conquer uh, the whale. I think they will wreck it because the whale is so the far the kind of only there, yeah. place that has been a spare war. Yeah, and it would be unlike Martin to leave such pearl unscratched. The other idea for Littlefinger is like well, it relates to how much he knows about Danny. Does he know no. about her or not? If he doesn't know, she's just swoop in and just deal with him. Okay, so yeah, you think that he's not aware of Danny, or I at think, least not. I think he's not aware of Danny, but I also think it won't matter because uh, at the time when Danny will arrive, I think he will already be in the north, and God's willing, dead. Yeah, and he's not the type that would be remembered. Really, they don't remember like somebody lowborn. Usually, unless like he really like stays around for a while, high. And, so. and he has to fulfill certain. Yeah. Um, certain expectations. If you are lowborn and you want to be remembered, you have to become a knight like Dunk or something, but not a master schemer. Yeah. And it, but it, doesn't it still relate to somehow to Sansa then, then as Dunk? I think this Sansa will relate, it's... yes. Uh, but I think he yeah. will be done for by the others. I think Sansa will be uh, responsible that everyone uh, deserts him before the end. Hmm. Okay, I think that's a good way to wrap up here, I think. Thanks for joining yeah, me, Stefan. Yeah, thanks everyone out for listening. Check us out at podcastmiceandfire.com on Twitter and Facebook there. And then you can follow you on, uh, well, I mean, Boiled Leather. You're you on Twitter I'm as well, Twitter, right? Yes. Yeah. And you got Nerdstreamera. All right, man, thanks. I have a, a file. I don't think you were recording, nope. right? Like you don't have, yeah, so I'll ask uh, Sean for his as well okay. to compare. And I'll, I'm planning to edit it this weekend and get it out. So when I get it out, I'll just email you guys and you guys can re like share it, I guess, on your sites. Okay, and, perfect. Yeah. I have installed cool. Hearthstone by now. Uh, I will check it out sometime this weekend. Cool. Are you a North America server, uh, I guess? Uh, like I English? I haven't still the game that I want to, but I haven't started it yet, so uh, I will check it out. Yeah. Bye. Cheers. All right, so I'm just Stefan. Just so you know, I'm meeting my mom for dinner in uh, at the restaurant across the street from my apartment at uh, in an hour and sixteen minutes. So okay, so let's get started. That gives us the ceiling, yeah. But that's good. I, I like uh, keeping it a reasonable length, you know. Yeah. Uh, did you try to open the link? Yeah, I can do that. That's no problem. Okay. So uh, that's, anyway, that's the list that I got uh, when specifically asked uh, for questions that they want us to tackle. But okay. again, um, I think it should be uh, just the right length for an hour. But if not, ah, you got from the firms. I didn't see that. Okay, then we have uh, enough. <clears throat> I'm back. Hello. Let's see. Where do wild boars go? Remember that? <laughs> I don't even understand what they mean. No, but the last guy, last time you guys were over here, that was a question. Okay. Right. It was. It was. Um. I don't remember where it came from. 
Where did it come from? The boar's horse thing. Well, the horse thing right. is, is just like Tyrion thinks about that. And then we were talking about like wild boar. Have you ever eaten it mm. before? And we're like, I've never had it. And then Stefan was like, well, that's the question. Where did the wild boars um. go? Is the question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as you're saying, the questions are all in this document here, yeah. right? Let's see. Yep. Yeah. So I was, I mean, I was just saying to Stefan that uh, I have to, um, I'm meeting my mom for dinner in like an hour and 14 minutes at the restaurant across the street from my apartment. That that gives us okay. like a, you know, kind of a cutoff time. But I think an hour is sure. a reasonable amount of time to spend anyway. So. <clears throat> yep. I mean, I'll do the intro. I'll get you guys in there. But like, what, what, what then do you guys want to cover other than these questions? Like, Sifan, you want to also just mention the ebook, I guess. Yeah, we should definitely mention the ebook. And how are we? Okay. How is this? Like, is this going to go on um, podcast of ice and fire? Okay. Yeah. You could just repost the link to it, I guess, in your in your uh, boiled leather. Uh, yeah. Tag or whatever. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So this will actually be yeah. This Ooh, will be an a episode. joint episode. I love it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So cool. Yeah, I don't know why, but my mic has had kind of a windy sound to it just in the last two or three episodes that we've done. But um, and I don't know why, because I'm just sitting in my apartment with no windows open, no air conditioner running. But hopefully, it'll be all right. Hmm. Seems okay, okay right now. Good. Oh, my thing says it's recording. Do you guys have recorders? Yeah, mine's as well? running. I don't think Stefan does though. But. Hmm. That's okay. We've we've never it's never been a problem. Good. I'm slowly getting better at like formatting and editing and things. It's been a, cool. <laughs> historically been a nightmare for me, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's the part that takes the yeah. longest time is, is the editing yeah. part. Yeah. Oh, just just a question then. Like, so Sean, if you end up leaving at that point, do you mind if we keep going? If we're still at it, like we're no, yeah, if you're in the thick of it, that's fine. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of questions. I think we're <laughs> they'll take a while. So just just keep that in mind, and then try to let's try to aim for the ones that you want to in particular talk for as well in the time okay. that you're here. Yeah. Good. Okay. We're good yep. to start. I'm ready. Okay. Here it goes. Remember, this is all edited, so if there's like snafus or whatever, it all gets cut out. So it's good. It just gets shifted to the after show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Here we go. still feasted upon anywhere like where where is <laughs> does anyone still munch on that song of ice and fire conventions probably there you go <laughs> is, it, is it popular any in any uh, cultures not really i guess a little bit expensive <laughs> hmm. i'll hunt it down
Yeah, where are the wild boars? Where do wild boars go? It's a big question right <laughs> after. <laughs> where do wild boars go? <laughs>